This is Coda Radio, episode 526 for July 10th, 2023. Hey friend, welcome back to Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and the world of technology. My name is Chris, and battling the bugs, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, Chris. How are you today? Hey, handsome. I'm feeling pretty good. I'm kind of, you know, back into the swing of things. We've had some big changes at the network. Uh, we're putting Linux Action News on hiatus because of the adpocalypse. Coder's down one ad. And we're putting office hours on kind of a once-it-gets-funded type of release schedule. So an infrequent. It's a big change. Big change. But, um, you know, I, I kind of I kind of think it's probably good to slow down a little bit. One of us has to from time to time, right? <laughs> You're certainly not doing it. I can tell you've been busy. I, I you, know? you know what? It's funny, though. I've gotten a lot of my time back now that I'm not uh, dealing much with social media, which is uh, just an interesting trend I think we've been both experiencing the last couple of months. Yeah. 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 It is absolutely so. I'm just, I was just telling you before the stream, it's like, I just don't even need to talk about it today. There's a lot of ridiculous stuff going on in that domain. Don't even need to talk about it. Don't think it's going to impact us. I want to get to Garrett's thoughts. On the Red Hat Enterprise Linux source code changes, we just touched on it briefly last week, and uh, I came down pretty dis- distinctly, I guess you could say, affirmatively on a particular position. He writes, hey guys, after reading the blog post from Red Hat, listening to the Ask Noah Show interview, and then the general discussions on Coder, I think I land with Chris on the topic. The Cliff Notes version I've come away with is that Red Hat was spending Red Hat's time and resources to make the RHEL source easy to take and rebuild even though they're not using that publishing endpoint. With this change, the source is still published. They just aren't doing the extra legwork for the rebuilders. Sure, you can copy my homework, but now you just have to change it a little bit more in that sense. Physical analogies are always a nice perspective shift. So I imagine a scenario, and I appreciate this because I was looking for an analogy. He says, I imagine a scenario where System76 is releasing the designs of the Thaleo as open source as they do, but now going further, providing pre-machined panels in a flat pack for you to build your own. Builders take these pre-machined kits, rebrand, assemble them, and sell them as their own while undercutting System76. They, the rebuilders, don't submit the design changes upstream to build a better case and do not machine their own parts to ensure their own business has something to stand on if System76 were to go away. In this scenario, I'd have no complaints or criticisms if System76 opted to stop selling that DIY kit. Which, that latter part, is my key point in my mind. If we're going to sell cases, there's a certain amount of manufacturing process you need to control or else it's a threat to your business. The same with shipping software, in my mind. Having your business completely dependent on the output of another without an alternative break glass process ready to go in your back pocket, well, that's just bad business. We've seen this over and over in the past few financial crises, that any number of things that can kill a company overnight, even large ones. Um, Nailed it. I think Garrett nailed it there. Yeah, it's just, yeah. What's incredible is two hours before you and I sat down to record, Oracle released a blog post titled, Keep Linux Open and Free, We Can't Afford Not To. And it's written by the chief corporate architect and another gentleman that's the head of Oracle Linux development. And it reads, and I'll put a link in the show notes, it reads like a couple of cranky cock of the walks of their department. They get to say whatever they want. And I'm shocked that this came out of Oracle. 
I thought their move was going to be to play it low key and quiet and just not say anything. And as of this morning, July 10th, 2023, they have come out and done just the exact opposite. They are absolutely swinging full force at Red Hat, calling them basically, you know, an IBM subservient company. Here's a couple of the choice quotes that they put in this blog post. And even the title, Keeping Linux Open and Free, that is capitalizing on people that are underinformed about the situation. It's capitalizing on ignorance and emotion just right there at the beginning. They write in here, quote, interesting. If IBM doesn't want to continue publicly releasing rel source code because it has to pay its engineers, that seems odd. Given that Red Hat as a successful independent open source company chose to publicly release the rel source code and pay its engineers for many years before IBM acquired Red Hat in 2019 for 34 billion. So they're throwing in this kind of like supposition that this is clearly the work of IBM, even though Red Hat staff have gone on record in multiple instances saying they have had no conversations with anyone at IBM about this change. And this change is consistent with the CentOS stream change that happened a couple of years ago. That was also a Red Hat internally sales department driven change and it's also consistent with the Fedora core change that happened over a decade ago because of the sales pressure. It is consistent with previous Red Hat independent actions. They don't care, even though Oracle probably knows that because they're close. They don't care. They cast this whole thing as IBM pulling the strings. And then they write in, in a beautiful sort of just like backwards logic. They write one observation for ISVs. IBM's actions are not in your best interest. By killing CentOS as a RHEL alternative and attacking Alma Linux and Rocky Linux, IBM is eliminating one way your customers can save money and make a larger share of their wallet available to you. If you don't yet support your product on Oracle Linux, we'd be happy to show you how easy that is and give your customers more choice. All right, now, if you'll just indulge me for a moment, I'm going to break this down. IBM's actions are not in your best interest by killing CentOS as a rel alternative. All right, full stop right there. CentOS stream fully exists. It is upstream of rel. It is just as much of a cent. It is just as much of a rel alternative as Oracle Linux ever could be. Right. This is throwing stones in a glass house here. Oracle Linux is not only going to be a downstream clone, but they even admit in their own blog post, they can't guarantee exact compatibility anymore. So they're more of a weirdo clone than CentOS ever will be because CentOS is now the legitimate upstream of RHEL. But they don't care. They cast shade. And then they say IBM is eliminating one of the ways your customers can save money and make a larger share of their wallet available to you. Well, how does this play out long term? Because what is CentOS based on? What is Oracle Linux based on? They're all based on RHEL. And if the revenue doesn't go to Red Hat, the product eventually goes away. And then CentOS and Oracle Linux, they all go away. So if you are intentionally trying to take money away from RHEL, you're essentially pissing in your own well because that comes home to roost. The investments in RHEL directly impact Oracle Linux because Oracle Linux is a RHEL clone. It doesn't exist without RHEL. And so they're advocating for people to take money away from Red Hat, which is the very place that creates the product that they base their thing on. It's absolutely incredible. And then they really twist it and they really twist the whole thing. 
They write, finally, to IBM, here's a big idea for you. Quote, you say that you don't want to pay all those RHEL developers. Well, okay, they never said that. They've, they are paying RHEL developers. They never paid the clone makers. They, they were never contributing upstream. They were never on Red Hat's payroll. That is a complete abortion of the truth. They write, quote, you say that you don't want to pay all those RHEL developers. They never said that. RHEL developers still have a job. That's an absolute ludicrous statement. And then they end it with, here's how you can save money. Just pull from us. Become a downstream distributor of Oracle Linux. We'll happily take on the burden. Well, how would that work? What kind of circular logic is that? The entire product is based on RHEL with a few modifications from them so they can call it Unbreakable Linux. They tweak the kernel, they change a few other things, and they call it Unbreakable Linux. And they end the entire post with, just pull from us. What the kind of... This is a straight-up gaslighting of the public just taking a bunch of emotional energy that was finally starting to calm down and trying to capitalize on all of that to sell a product that would go away if they were actually ultimately successful in the goals that they state in this very blog post. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is one of those weird Linux community fights that's kind of uh, super political. <laughs> yeah, maybe the weirdest of them. It's unusually strange. I I don't understand why Oracle is necessarily picking this fight. I guess they see an opportunity or they perceive one, but... It would be like Canonical advocating for people to stop using Debian, stop basing things on Debian, and only base them on Ubuntu. We'll all, you'll all be downstream of Ubuntu now. We don't need Debian. Like, it just doesn't work. It, <laughs> there is no Ubuntu without Debian. Right. It doesn't make sense. If anything, my takeaway from this is this is another reason why using containers and uh, something like a Docker is a good idea. So if you do, for whatever reason, have to switch your underlying distro, you're not completely beholden. Well, and the irony there is some of these clone makers are like, well, we might use the uh, UBI images that Red Hat provides because that has official Red Hat packages. We might use some of the UBI images to verify if we've got the right thing in our clone now. And they're just basically saying the quiet part out loud everybody could just be targeting these ubi images right you could be essentially shipping in a rel environment and you could run it on arch for god's sakes right like you could run a rel environment on open if you just targeted the ubi containers and now the clone makers are going to be using the ubi containers as, as possible reference it just it just it shows you how they're just so desperate to maintain the status quo of the way software is deployed, which everybody listening to this show knows is a massive pain in the neck. Well, and, and, and I, I don't know what Oracle has in this. I, they used to have something, but I can't remember. But of course, Red Hat has their OpenShift platform, right? Which is like their proprietary CI uh, deployment tool. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like everybody's trying to lock you into their system in some way. It's so crazy to, it's like they're building their shop on top of Red Hat's roof. <laughs> And then they're calling for a boycott of the business underneath them. Well, what do you think happens when that business shuts down? That building gets torn down. <laughs> what, which, is, which is not going to happen, though, right? I, I'm just, you know. No. Oracle has been a parasite and a leech in this area for so long. I remember almost the very, like the very first year that they launched Unbreakable Linux. They sent a guy to Linux Fest Northwest. And this was an old school Linux Fest Northwest. And I was just a person there 
And so I stopped at the Oracle Unbreakable Linux. And I got an argument with the guy because he was so rude about me asking where it was coming from, what it was based on, what the kernel version was. He just was so pissed that I'd have those questions. And it really left a taste in my in my mouth around this whole Unbreakable Linux and kind of their motivations to undercut Red Hat. And yeah. And so here we ultimately are. Software. It's hard to distribute. Software politics. Always fun. Business. So I want to mention that we have a member support mechanism for the show. We are down in sponsors and you can sponsor us directly by going to coderqa.co and become a member. As a thank you, you can subscribe to a ad free version. So you get no ads when we have all the ads or one ad or whatever it might be. And you also get the Coderly a little member show. You can also just boost in on a per episode basis and boost in and support the show. Start by going to getalby.com. Top that off either directly or using something like the cash app. And head on over to the podcast index and boost on in. Supports the show and a portion of your boost goes to editor Drew, Fountain FM developers, the Podverse FM developers, myself and the network. And then we read your message coming up later in the show. So thank you, everybody who uh, supports the show, either through a membership or through a boost. We appreciate it. Boost. OK, so this is a story that I think could be overall building towards something, but on its own, not a very big deal. Traffic to OpenAI's ChatGPT and BARD has fallen 10% in June. Uh, it fell 5%, almost 6% the month previous. BARD traffic is down about 20%. And uh, it seems to be, and this is my supposition, that perhaps the functionality is catching up with reality. The hype is fading and maybe the promises weren't all met. What is your thought, Mr. Dominic, as somebody who's in the bot biz? Why do you suppose the big revolutionary AI that's going to change the world for better or for worse? Why is traffic suffering? We're almost down. Uh, if you look at current stats, geez, it's down even more. 10.3% on the month to month decline. Yeah, I think this is just the, the froth, right? The froth on the head of the beer kind of calming down as the glass sits. Um, there was just too much hype, right? I think this is a, a simple correction. Open AI board, none of them are growing anywhere. Just there's way too much kind of mainstream hype that is now dying down. Right. And um, they're going to need time to make them better, too. And that's just going to that's just going to take months, maybe years, right, to make them better and better. But here's my question to you, sir. If this decline continues for another couple of months, does this run the clock out on Altman's ability to build a moat around open AI? Well, his ability, it depends on what you th you think by a moat, right? If you, I know we were discussing, and I still believe, the moat is going to be regulation. Right, yeah. And I would say this matters less than how close we get to a general election here in the U.S. Oh. Because um, nothing will happen in Congress when we're too near an election. That's a great point. That is a great point. That's also going to be a big delay. Well, Sam's got a powerful friend. Uh, your good buddy, Chuck Schumer. Honestly, my bottom bro. Seriously. <laughs> me, me and the Schumanator. Cruising for chicks. You know how the we roll. Schumanator. The Schumanator. Oh, no. Oh, no, no. That's good. The sh Well, the Schumanator has an act he wants to pass. Basically, some regulation. He's got an AI framework. And I'll have all the links, including I'll have a link directly to Schumer's AI one pager underscore 2023.docx.pdf. <laughs> 
And so Schumer's, Schumer's aide wrote this up in Microsoft Word and just straight up exported it and left all the metadata. Perfection. <laughs> Once again, the wily Schumanator evades Russian and Chinese spies with his self-encrypting document format. So I'll just I'll put a link to that in the notes if people want to poke around at that. But so he's got this uh, safe framework. And it's got a couple of really great ideas that I think you're going to love, right? Because it's all about responsible AI and inclusive AI and secure AI. And it's all about how the United States should invest in AI, you know, because whenever the government invests, that makes sure they get certain outcomes, which they always love. But here's one that I think you're going to just think is, is dandy. The art, they have in there this, this proposal of this tiered system of approval that you have to go through. And uh, so as you're beginning to innovate, as you're beginning to build your app, whatever it might be, you have to kind of go to this council of experts who are going to question you at each step, each major step. You're also going to have to come with all the receipts. So you're going to have to provide all the documentation for all the assets that you're training your models on that covers all the copyright stuff. Um, and they have this tiered system where they essentially have somebody governing each step of the development process. So that way you kind of from very beginning all the way to the end, uh, they're going to come up with a term for it. They're going to have a term from like start from beginning to like concept to like publishing it in an app stores or publishing it on the web. They're going to have a term for like that process, and they're going to have a uh, uh, an individual council like represent like you're, you're, yeah, you as an individual talk to a council of people that will review your development process. It sounds great, doesn't it? And they'll make sure there's nothing illegal in there. They'll make sure you're not doing any copyright stuff or. I'll make sure you're not doing anything that might spread misinformation or disinformation. Ah, yes. The lovely misinformation. A young woman of grace and dignity. Um, also, who's on the council? Oh, that's a great question. Um, industry leaders. Mm, mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Industry industry leaders. Well, I think you're going to get full, full support from uh, uh, Altman on this one. As he also says, uh, he says he wants to have, quote, top minds. And they want to do years of work in a matter of months. <laughs> wait, wait, a sitting U.S. senator said he's going to do years of work in a matter of months. And so uh, they say it's too dangerous to to permit permissionless innovation. Of course. Yeah. You got to have a new process. Did he mention protecting the children and keeping it free of racism and other forms of bias? Uh, racism, yes. You know what's not in here? I know you're going to be really surprised by this, but um, nothing in here about maintaining privacy, about respecting users' privacy and data. Oh, no, because we have to protect. I, I like the AI should be developed and used in a way that protects national security. Yep. Hmm. Yep. Yep. Hmm. Yep. And copyright. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got to make sure that when you're building forward with AI that you integrate the DMCA um, at the beginning, you know, because you don't want to get all the way to the end and then get DMCA'd. This automated DMCA has never been a problem before. <laughs> so it's the safe framework, buddy. Aren't you excited? He's keeping you safe. Yeah, it's a, so the S stands for security. Oh, gosh. A is accountability. F is foundation. E is explain. And I is innovation. Yeah, including... Not just innovation and technology, but innovation and accountability and security. Well, this would be very interesting in that it puts the federal government in the place of like an Apple, kind of like an app store situation. It also seems like the phrase regulatory capture should be screaming in everybody's head when if this actually happens, which I have one basically 90 percent faith that it won't. It's just going to be the big players basically completely dominating this market. Just the the, the uh, compliance costs alone of this, right, seem ridiculous to me. 
Oh, yeah. Whenever they say about creating new councils, new processes, and whenever they call for a new way, uh, I can't remember. They had like, like whenever they're, that's, that's money. That's money being spent. And isn't it just great timing, right? Right as the AI hype is dying out and the traffic's beginning to drop and people are starting to see the reality of it and that it's not that dangerous. Well, you know, the Schumster comes in and he's ready to take this thing across the finish line. It's just so wild. I mean, it. You know, it's one thing to say the government should be involved in like a DARPA slash ARPA situation, right? And I would kind of agree with that, right? Funding more research, um, kind of like they used to in the 70s and late 60s. But the idea that the government should be the uh, the gatekeeper, the app review, so to speak, it it's just going to – and maybe that's what they want, right? Let's not forget the telco industry. Yeah, you're right. That's true. But the telco industry was about the communication highway, right? But this, to me, is about information and the spread of information. And it's about the control of the message and the control of information. It's the only logical conclusion I can come to. And the control of the message, the control of the status quo, is more important than being one of the innovators to being one of the leaders to actually creating something that could truly be revolutionary. That is all second and tertiary to the control of the message the control of the technology and working with, you know, industry leaders. Well, and and let, I mean, let's not to be too cynical here, but this is also probably a, a welcome uh, proposal by like, you know, Microsoft, the big five, right? Even OpenAI, because they're going to be the only ones with the legions of lawyers able to even attempt to comply with this. And their experts will likely be the ones on these councils. And lobbyists, they're going to have lobbyists to help form these frameworks and these groups and these boards. I mean, they have they have an army of lobbyists already to go on the payroll. They need something to do. They need something to do. It, it effectively says if you're, you know, some crazy new innovative uh, company, you know, you're 20, you're in your mom's garage, right? You have to basically turn over all your proprietary information to even like go to market, which I feel like the opportunities for corruption there are super high. And it may just be that this forces partnership as the model because you simply can't afford, even assuming people aren't being shady, right? You simply can't afford to go through all the hoops. It's interesting to see the contrast in Congress's ability to move fast to, to regulate AI when we just went through two years of crypto scams. And uh, they couldn't get off their ass to do anything about it. And now they're doing well, because cryptos, they can't draw the line to, you know, another Donald Trump to crypto scans. Right. 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 It, 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 this, it, this is about fear of an election coming up, which is another reason it won't pass. Right. It's about information. It is the most important commodity information. Right. And the crypto stuff, you know, people made money. I'm sure some of their constituents made money and uh, probably they thought the better strategy was to ignore it rather than normalize it. And perhaps they're right because, you know, most all those crap coins are just completely crashing right now. Maybe it'll just take care of itself. It's just lots of individuals were harmed in the process. Now, here we have something nascent. It really hasn't even gotten out of the beta or alpha stage. And we've already got, you know, Schumer here coming up with the SAFE Act <laughs> and an AI framework. It's a super slippery slope, too, right? You uh, you had a good point, I think, a month ago where you said, you know, this whole misinformation thing assumes that the vast majority of the American public are actual idiots. And it assumes current information is accurate, which I think any of us have to admit after the last two years, things change quick. Things that we thought were true and we labeled as misinformation turned out, you know, that wasn't misinformation. We should have known. Well, and the, and the folks getting to label things as misinformation, we have to assume they have no other motives and are, you know, in, basically vestal virgins that are completely pure and, you know, unimpeachable. Right. That that seems like a basically divine 
uh, level to hit that no human could ever hit. So that seems problematic. That's a good point. It's like like they want to be God. Like they want to be infallible. Like they want to be the arbiter of reality and truth. And by saying by saying that, you're basically saying you want to be God and no one can be God. And so the best we can do is each suss out on our own what seems true to us. You know, like like these hype cycles in tech always end up being overplayed. And at the beginning, when you say this is hype and uh, you get called, you know, uh, a crank, you get called an old man, you get ridiculed a little bit. And then, you know, here we are six months into it and things are kind of slowing down again. Same thing happened with the Twitter cycle. And I think, honestly, it's the consolidation of the tech press and kind of the... Mer- yes, they need fresh meat constantly. They need fresh meat. And they've also merged with kind of the more regular uh, media industry. And the VCs need that fresh meat. There's a whole industry around Well, that. and the VCs would either rather your... Let's call it Acme, you know, Acme Corp, right? They'd rather it completely fail or, you know, be a unicorn. Like middling, middle of the road businesses don't make sense for the VC model. They're kind of boring. Um, they don't get written up by, you know, my favorite blog, The Verge. They also get zero representation in Congress. But, either you know, I follow what you're saying. And they get the taxed out of them because they don't have the muscle to fight. But they make enough money to pay the high tax rate. So. And they're left out of all this with the SAFE Act. That's for sure. I mean, let me fry some uh, some lamb bacon here. I caught him. I caught him without a soundboard. Wow. So mm, this smells good. This is oh this yeah. This is effectively turning oh. the mid-sized wannabe AI bot companies into little lambs, little sheep for the big five to shear. Now, you want to get past if the, if this happens, you want to get past the certification, you want to get past the regulation. Well, it would be much easier if you went ahead and signed a partnership deal with Microsoft or OpenAI or Apple or you know one of the guys. But there are legions of lobbyists. Yeah, they're going to be involved. They're going to be on the Hill. They're going to know about these developments. They're going to be on the council. Wow. Wow. What a racket. How about the dude from Google who spent his whole life working on AI and then all of a sudden was on the front page of every tech blog because after he retired and, you know, made his millions, he's sounding the alarm. You don't think he'll be there or someone like him? Yeah. And and, and in his opinion, only Google is responsible enough for this big of a threat. Wow. And what's going to happen to small businesses is if they're lucky, they get to play middleman. You know, they get to be like a a value add reseller that sits in front of an API that can that can build something unique. It'll effectively be like sharecropping all over again, just like the the app store turned into. Right. Where the, 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 the platform, in this case, the big players, which is always the platform, get the lion's share and you're left with the scraps. In aggregate. Right. There will be, of course, success stories, but can you live on the scraps? Is the question. Well, I mean, can can the Schumanator get his act together and Congress get their act together even past this? I would say that's the first question. Yeah, that's a that. I, what do you think? What are the chances? What uh, you know? Yeah, I, I'd like to know what the audience's pulse on this. Are we going to see AI regulation before the election? I mean, we have Congresswomen calling each other bees on the floor of the House, and it, it just you know. It, this requires a level of organization that I'm not sure that they could do. Something that's not going to help, and it's just going to cause it just to slow down and take longer to sort out, is uh, you probably saw that Sarah Sarah Silverman is suing OpenAI and Meta for copyright infringement. And her her argument is essentially that the AI models, you know, trained on her book, and you can go into the a OpenAI chatbot and you can 
you know, get spoilers about her book. I could also read a book review in, in the Tampa Bay Times. I, I know. And it's like, um, Sarah, you're not the only author that had their book scanned. Like every book's in there. In fact, my wife loves this feature. If she starts a book and it's crap, but she's kind of interested in how it ends, she goes into chat GPT and she says, okay, how does such and such book end? And then the first thing it says is, well, as a large language model, it would be irresponsible for me to spoil the story. And then she says, oh, no, I've read it or no, I have no intention. I just want to know how, you know, if she just tells it to shut up and tell me anyways, then it will give her the ending. And she can ask like, well, what happened with this character? And did this character and this character, you know, did they survive? Did they get together? And you can ask those specific things and it'll tell you. And it's a fantastic feature, actually. In fact, isn't that the same as going to the bar or the coffee shop and you asking me about a book I read? I would think so. I, you copyright violator. Um, I would think so because I've done I've done horrible Law and Order SVU things to copyright here. I mean, how did it learn that? Right, it learned it by reading something online. I mean, I, I, I you know, copyright protection is important. I get it, but I just. I mean, Sarah Silverman's comedy book is the thing we're going to fight about. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, I think it's only the beginning. I think it's only the beginning. Well, no, people are swing code pilot now, right? I mean, we had that a post from last week. And I, like, I get it. But this this feels a lot like... Napster days and feels... John Hendry trying to fight the steam locomotive, right? It, it, it's just... <laughs> and, and I'm a curmudgeon. I, I've had to get over my curmudgeonness because every time I was a curmudgeon, I freaking lost tailscale.com slash coder head on over there to get a free personal account for up to 100 devices it's not a trial you can just use it for up to 100 devices and unlimited subnets now and it's a great way to support the show while you're checking out a fast simple and secure mesh vpn that's built on top of wireguard tailscale is a zero config vpn you get it installed on your device in just a matter of minutes it'll use your single sign-on system if you're an enterprise you can layer on additional security like two-factor and integrate it with your existing auth infrastructure. It's perfect for developers who are trying to set up ad hoc networking and you don't want to fuss with the firewalls and the subnets and worry about NAT and all that. It's so nice to have all your devices get a static, stable IP on that flat network. And for businesses that need to set up VPN access to their internal network, well, you can do it with TailScale without the hassle and the cost and the ongoing maintenance of a traditional VPN server. It makes... Traditional VPNs just seem really antiquated because it's built on WireGuard. It's giving us something we hoped WireGuard would actually enable. Devices connect directly to each other using the noise protocol. It builds out a mesh VPN across different data centers, LANs, whatever it might be. Your containers can connect to TailScale. Your VMs can connect to TailScale. You can quickly create a secure network between servers, computers, cloud devices, mobile devices, And I want to point your attention to tailscale.dev. They've got a bunch of good information over there. One that they just posted a couple of days ago is managing your passwords with Vault Warden over your Tailnet. This is something I do. All of my family services are on Tailscale now. Nothing's on the public internet anymore. When I fire up a VPS and it's something we need for the family, they only communicate over Tailscale. Or locally, same thing. Even when I'm on my own land, I'm still using the Tailscale network because it's all communicating locally. So I'm just using consistent IPs and all my config remains consistent, my DNS resolution, all of that. You're going to love it. It will, it'll just upgrade your game to the next level. You got to go try it out. And it's a great way to support the Coda Radio program too. And you get it for free for up to hundred devices. That's, that's going to cover a lot of you out there. Tailscale.com slash Coder. 
Well, bots are not going back in the box, regardless of the copyright lawsuits, um, regardless of regulation, regardless of Sam Altman. They're not going back in the box. And we have a couple of clips. I want to go in the Wayback Machine, if you will, just for a moment. Thank you to listener Alex, who clipped these and shared them on Twitter. This is You and I in episode 263, early 2017. And uh, we're talking about bots before it was popular. And consumers are fickle and they're dirt cheap. So, yeah, and it's not a space that I'm, I'm super excited about. Okay. I mean, the consumer side, right? I, I think that the bots in, in the business, right, business-facing bots or bots that um, help companies work more efficiently, I think would yes. be pretty, yeah, I pretty th- interesting. It seems to me there could just be a huge, huge business in bots that just bridge business systems together that are, are either separate companies' systems or systems that were in, inside one company, but they were developed by different vendors. So maybe one uses some crazy IBM database and one's using Microsoft SQL or Oracle or something. And you got you to massage data, you got to export data, massage it, and then import data. It seems like bots could be great. Things like, I, I guess I'm, I'm trying to make it sound like more than jacked up shell scripts and Perl scripts, but I feel like there is like, there's room for a type of superhero Perl script that has question and response interactivity where staff members could go to the bot and say i need you to do a, i need you to go do a sql dump and i need you to prepare it for hr and then the bot would kick off a whole series of work that could be you know in the past would have been 15 different shell scripts in the background i don't know if i but to me it seems like that's just an obvious business use case so does that seem you likely so someone's been reading my gmail <laughs> <laughs> it's been a bot. <laughs> uh, clearly, you were probably already working on Alice at the time. Yep. And I thought that, you know, that natural conversation of you just ask the bot in a natural language. I thought that was kind of a an interesting, you know, early take. And it's like somebody was listening like, oh, I think we could do that. And we we refined that conversation a little bit later uh, in August of 2017 in episode 268. I was really, I really wanted to see something like ChatGPT come out, but something we could run on our local devices, which we now have. It doesn't require communication to the cloud. They could have more decision processing happening on the Echo. Or think about wearables, like a watch. Right now, when you, when you invoke Siri or the Google Assistant via a Wear device, you're really just talking to the phone, which is talking to the cloud, which is not a very fast experience. And it, if there's any sort of connectivity issue between the watch and the phone or the phone and the cloud, you're going to have problems. And so the more you could localize processing, the more more things you could botetize, like something that can talk between my applications, something that can take data, like set an appointment at 11 a.m., and it can put it in my calendar application of choice because it knows how to do that, is going to be, I would think, obvious once these devices are just a little more powerful and bots are a little more common. And it's going to be everybody will have different versions of bots. You'll have chat bots, you'll have task bots, you'll have automation bots, you'll have support bots. And it, it just, to me, doesn't seem like it's a possibility. It seems like a foregone conclusion because they're going to be straightforward to use. They're going to take advantage of this. Everybody's got an API culture that is rampant right now. They're going to integrate with workflows and into systems like Slack and GitHub. 
is just too tempting. And because they don't actually require physical presence like a robot does, they don't require physical hardware, people can develop them and deploy them on cloud infrastructure or on local systems or on hardware. And it's it's just a software problem. It's not a something has to be aware of its environment, something has to be processing data. It is a jackass. Oh, man, Obama was back there. Yeah, you know, so six years ago, it's kind of hard to believe, but um, did you notice in there our annoyance with a, the API culture running rampant? That must have been when it was really ramping up, and now we're on the other end of, of that, I think. Where they're all shutting them down. Yeah, th- that's funny that we were watching that. Anyways, it's it, six years. Lots changed, but we're still not there. Lots changed. Can I, can I do a little Alice Kimono business here? Yeah. So... My biggest challenge right now with Alice is that culture has changed so much that I'll get a call in. Some you know, someone will jump on my savvy cal and like set up a meeting or whatever to see about like a you know opportunity. And the whole attitude of a lot of these third party uh, systems is they don't want to integrate with third parties or allow third parties to you pull in data data out of their system or manipulate data from their system to put in another. It's just a complete like 180. It's like now they're looking for the thing that isn't interconnected to everything because of privacy and security. Well, it, it's almost as if they're looking to, to, you know, good fences make good neighbors, right? They're looking to put a fence up around their SaaS or their, their software package and that data. Honestly, I feel like we're back into the bad old days of enterprise software of, the first thing you need to think about in your strategy is how do I lock the user in? Which is like the antithesis of what I was trying to do with Alice or still I'm doing. Right. So to the point where I've basically only I'm doing uh, a little, little bit of kimono here. One nice thing is that the integrations that were already made, the partnership deals, they're done. So it's really just like selling us a software product now with maybe a little customization, but like, the last couple have just been, yeah, I'll spin you up a, a Docker container. Or I'll give you a Docker container if you want to host it yourself. Uh, the downside of that is I don't think there's going to be a lot of runway for integrating with new systems. And to the point where systems that used to have APIs, I had a conversation with a large accounting software company. And the guy just basically told me outright after about 20 minutes, he's like, look, man, no one's updated that API basically doesn't work the way you think it does anymore and we're probably going to go ahead and get rid of it the other tool i'm seeing used is just hyper aggressive rate limiting Mm. Um, it's just a complete culture change in how these large enterprise software companies see their you know their value add um, or how how they're going to capture value i should say and now it's all about locking that user in. I mean, let's think about just, I mean, I'm, I'm a customer of Intuit QuickBooks, right? QuickBooks is like a black hole sucking up all these other functionality. They, they now own Credit Karma, apparently. They own uh, T-Sheets. They own, the, you can get your health, your, your company health insurance through them. Yeah, and credit check stuff. Credit so- checks. They will finance your invoices if you've been a customer for long enough. I've never done it, but they keep calling me trying to get me to. Right. Of course, payroll is a huge thing they do, right? Payroll. I mean, it, it's it's crazy how what was, I mean, if, if you're old enough, you remember back in the day, just a simple desktop application that was basically an account ledger, right? Yep. Um, has become 
this sort of great fortress of your financial and back-end business data. You know how much I love that. <laughs> you, not very self-hosted. No, no, it is not. No, it is not. Yeah, it has been a wild six years. I can only imagine for the next six years when we play these clips and we sound even older. Ask not what your podcast can boost for you, but what you can boost for your podcast. We did get some boosts. We're trying to uh, reach a goal of 500,000 sats uh, each episode. And uh, Noob Steve came in with our baller boost this week, helping us get to that goal with 100,000 sats. He says, hope this helps you guys get to your 500,000 boost requests. I heart you guys. Well, thank you, Noob Steve. Uh, that that contributed considerably. We really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it helps a lot. And uh, appreciate your listening. Coming in at Fount- with Fountain FM, too, so you're putting us on the charts. Space Ninja comes in with 25,000 sats. Coming in hot with the boost. Uh, using Fountain as well. Hi, guys. Boosting in to say that you guys are nailing it on the motivations and such when it comes to the way these companies are trying to monetize. I've been saying for years that all these startups and even the big companies that aren't profitable, they're going to eventually have to find a way to get there. I just signed my first freelance coding contract. That's great. Congratulations, Space Ninja. I wanted to thank you for being such an inspiration and resource over the years. The JB community is really special. Now you have to write it next week and tell us, like, you can't, obviously it's confidential, I'm sure. But like, what platform, what language? Come on, you got to spill that tea. We love the deets. Uh, and really appreciate the support. Dave Jones comes in the Pod Sage with ten thousand beautiful sats using Castomatic. B O O S T. Homegrown frameworks will for sure have technical debt, but everything has technical debt given enough time. Look at everyone rewriting their code base in Swift UI now. I refuse to look at such a horrendous. <laughs> of- <laughs> We're all destined to rewrite eventually. With Homegrown, you can just do it on your own timetable and not someone else's. Ooh, I like that hot take. However, damn, spicy. This pod sage, Sir Alex Gates, he responds with 10,000 sats. You see, Dave, well, he doesn't work in a development shop, and traditional developers don't really understand how sysadmins and operations work. (laughs) This is going to get shots fired. It's not as if he's writing COBOL. Even a PHP developer had trouble adapting to the environment. If a PHP developer had trouble adapting to the environment, I'd find a new one, but maybe my standards are too high. I bridge the gap between dev and operations, not just DevOps. I get paid well for it, and I teach others to do the same. I, I, I like how Sir Alex Gates has basically adopted the Beyonce model of uh, developer management. To the left, to the left, bye. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, the gig comes in with a row of ducks. Right from Breeze, he says, great show. I'm not a fan of Apple's vendor lock-in. Will Apple ever do more for developers? Thanks, guys. <sighs> Boy, from I think Apple's perspective, they, do a lot. they feel like you developers are so lucky. Yeah, I feel like they're like, uh, I don't know. And I'm not convinced they don't. I, I, you know, I, I guess I will have to take the Windows challenge again at some point. But if it wasn't for WSL2, I would find Windows Dev basically unusable. So mm-hmm. uh, Linux mm-hmm. is great. I have certain hardware things i would like done and and, uh i've learned that it's not nice to dm carl with specs that you want and specific components you want used but hey (laughs) people do that uh gamma says that uh uh, sir alex gates 
wasn't taking a shot across the bow for Dave. It was uh, right at the hull. <laughs> there was no warning. He didn't even radio in yeah. telling them to stand down. It was just uh, a straight. And he spent, he spent 10,000 good-looking sets to do it, too. Tux MM comes in with another row of ducks. He says, I'm a Linux and open-source enthusiast. I've mostly used good Debian. Choice. All my machines, two laptops and one desktops, are now on NixOS. I dabbled in CentOS at some point. But I agree with your take on the Red Hat situation. There's absolutely no reason why anyone should expect Red Hat to freely give away their full product, especially to competitors who are undercutting their revenue model. And especially if that competitor is Oracle because they abducted <laughs> my <laughs> beloved Java Duke. So, Oh, my gosh. Oh, you know what? That's. <clears throat> yeah. 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 Eric comes in with 2000 sats from the podcast index. <laughs> This is my first time boosting in, and I'm also a Jupiter Party member. I discovered the podcast through self-hosted, and I really enjoy the show, so keep up the good work. And I agree with both your takes on Red Hat closing open access to their source Thank code. Thank you. Just one one, one comment here, though. Uh, Jupiter Party is definitely going to end us on some watch list. It sounds like we're like the Decemberist <laughs> movement. We're going to overthrow the czar or something. Ooh, I mean, I'm kind of down for that. If that's the direction it has to go one day, or what if we just got an island, you know? And we've got, you know, we just got ourselves an island and we just all brought over like some huts and we just started over. You and I must be Vulcan soul bonded now. I had a dream <laughs> that I had to go on the lamb and I just like destroyed all of my technology and went to an island of the South Pacific and had to learn how to like live off the land. <laughs> oh, man. I'm down, dude. Do if you decide, you let me know. You let me know. I'll bring like uh, I'll bring the Starlink and I'll bring a lithium battery and uh We'll just produce content for the Jupiter party and uh, it'll be just our small, tiny little audience. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, all right. So a Hannigan comes in with 5,000 sats just to say great episode. Thank you, sir. Hal was right. 2,100 uh, sats. Hal says Noster using the Amethyst app is good for following Bitcoin people. I get news and funny Bitcoin memes there. I follow Odell and Jack and others. I checked it out too. There's all kinds of stuff going on. It's really growing. Mm. I spent Saturday on Noster They've implemented a spaces-like feature, so a couple of different guys were doing live music DJ radio streams, and so while I was working on Linux Unplugged, I just pulled up a Noster music stream, played it over Bluetooth to my speaker, and it worked out great using the Amethyst app. So, I mean, it's it's they're getting there. It's it's still very Bitcoin-heavy and stuff like that, but there's other folks on there as well. But uh, he says, beware. I often have issues getting the latest posts from people I'm following. I have to go directly to the person's page. And use a VPN with Noster. Is that Hal? Is there is there something I should know about Noster's privacy? I mean, I know it's looks like a relay system; it can't be super private. But why do I have to worry about the Noster network knowing my IP address? Let me know your thoughts on that, Al. Hal. And thank you to everybody who did boost in. We did not get to our five hundred thousand sat goal. We got ten boosters, total of ten boosts, at, at, with a grand total of one hundred sixty three thousand five hundred forty four sats. So that's about $50-ish in current exchange rate. Obviously, that's not going to replace a sponsor. Uh, but let's try to get that to 500000 I do appreciate that because, uh, you know, that'll always go to work. We'll put that to work on the network, and uh, we appreciate everybody who does take the time to boost in. If you'd like to do it, get Albi.com, top it off, and then visit the podcast index, or get a brand-new app that supports transcripts and chapters and obviously boosts and all kinds of things at, pod at newpodcastapps.com, or I think now just podcastapps.com and of course you can become a member at coderqa.co or you can support all the shows at jupiter.party mr dominic is there anywhere you'd like to send our friends 
Uh, I'm not using it yet, but I am on threads at Tubaduco. Uh, I was going to ask. I didn't feel like talking about social media. Yeah, I don't know. I, You know what? I got to be honest with you. I've... You know, I, I I have like my whatever month chip from Twitter basically now, and I I feel pretty good about that. I'm not sure that I want to fall off the wagon. Yeah, you know, it's just I like I signed up, and I don't even want to talk about this too long. But I looked at it, and it it seems less like, but already there's some people getting nasty. I mean, that's gonna happen. But also, sometimes I like the wild stuff. I mean, I don't like the stuff that pisses me off, but I like seeing like the real out there takes that I don't always agree with. I don't know if I want, it sounds like, it sounds like going to Disneyland versus going to like town square, right? Like Twitter is like just gritty downtown, the real world town square and threads to me sounds like Disneyland. Well, I, I do miss some of the dev Twitter where like everyone smiles, someone will share like a little snippet. They, they did as a gist yeah. on GitHub and it's like, Oh, that's actually super useful. But the political stuff, even like the tech political stuff, which I have a habit of uh, slamming my face into, not super great. I don't know. Also, the threads UI, it's not bad. It's just something, it feels, I don't know. I'm, I, yeah. I just early. Well, you know, I would, if anybody wanted to boost in with a positive social media take, like either Noster or threads or Twitter on how you're using it to be maybe more effective, I, I could. I wouldn't mind entertaining that perspective because I'm getting real negative and sour on this. Stuff. Uh, you know, I kind of just log into Element and Discord now. And if I'm there, I'm there. Yeah. And if I'm not, I'm not. And I don't feel like a huge obligation to check every day or anything. So where Twitter, I'm like, oh, this person sent me a DM with a question. You know, oh, I need to reply. I don't know. I'm going to give a I'm going to give an end of show hot tip. Mm. Silo. Silo's good. Really enjoying Silo, the TV show. Silo's good. I'm like hooked. Like, I'm neglecting life responsibilities to watch Silo. It's that good. Wow, okay. So, yeah, I like it. Ten episodes, so it's not I'm still fighting the Battle of the Line in Babylon 5. Liking mm. it quite a bit. Um, good. Can I tease next week's show? Because I didn't get it done this yeah. week. We ha- it's going to be a lot of C++ and Unreal. Oh, man. We got a lot of positive responses to that, so I think people will enjoy that. That's going to be good. All right. Well, that's it. That's the podcast, everybody. Thank you so much. Of course, links to what we talked about today are over at coder.show slash Five two six. You'll find our subscribe page there where you can get our RSS feed and get the show whenever we release it, which is, well, Wednesday mornings, really. And of course, you can always join us live. We record Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern over at jblive.tv. And our chat room, which is going while we're live, but going 24-7, that's at coder.show slash matrix. Grab yourself something like Element or Fluffy Chat. Yep, that's a real thing. And then you can jump, jump in there and chat with Mike and myself and the community members and hang out with us during a live show. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you right back here next week.